Hey, we are in Sefer Yeshayahu, Perik Aleph. We got up to Pasuk Gimel yesterday. However, with your indulgence, I would like to go back to Pasuk Aleph from the beginning just to review some of the things we spoke about. So we begin with Chazon Yeshayahu Ben Amotz. And Rashi told us that there are 10 different Lashonos, languages of prophecy that a prophet normally uses. Chazon, vision, is the strongest one. In a Chazon, it is going to be very critical, lacerating, fire and brimstone. And indeed, we see that while this may not be the first prophecy of Yeshayahu, it is one of the most, if not the most famous one, the one we read uh, the Shabbos before Tishabov. So Chazon Yeshayahu Ben Amotz, we learned that Ben Amotz, when the Navi gives us the name of the father of the Navi in question, it usually connotes an inference that the father was a Navi, that Amotz himself was a Navi. Equally important, Amotz was the brother, the Mephoshim say, of Amatsyahu, who was a king of Yehuda, which would place Yeshayahu squarely within the Davidic line. So he comes from a very important pedigree, as it were. Continues Pasakal Asher Chaza A Yehuda Yerushalayim, which he prophesied on Yehuda Yerushalayim. We established yesterday that's not quite accurate. As uh, Rashi says, he prophesies on um, Moab, Bavel, Mitzrayim, internationally. It's only here that he's confined to Yehuda Yerushalayim, but basically Yeshayahu is a prophet of great international prophecies and is not limited to Yehuda Yerushalayim. And continues, Pasukah, Mimei Uziyahu, Yosem, it mentions he was contemporaneous with those four kings, um, and they swing like a pendulum from Uziyahu, who was evil, to his son Yosam, who was a tzaddik, to his son Achaz, who was terribly evil, to Yechizkiyahu, his son, who was a tzaddik. Um, not mentioning Menashe, who rules the longest of any king of either Israel or Yehuda, 55 years, and is arguably the worst king in history of either nation. And it leaves him out probably because we don't want to associate Yeshayahu with him. And moreover, more logical, the Mephoshim say that Menashe might have in his first or second year of his reign killed Yeshayahu, who was his grandfather. In any event, we have calculated that the era of prophecy of Yeshayahu is an astounding 86 years. He lives to 120. And these are the prophecies that he delivers. So we continue with his invocation 
to Shimu Shamayim in Pasuk Beis. Listen, skies, Vahazinu, Oretz, and pay attention, earth, Ki Hashem Dibber, because the Kaddish Baruch Hu is speaking. We noted yesterday that it is very similar to the language used in the Torah that begins Ha'azinu, with a very important exception, that it is reversed in Hazinu. It says Hazinu Shamayim Vishimu Oretz. Here we flip it, as we say, Shimu Shamayim Vahazinu Oretz, because Shimu is a stronger language, and that Moshe was on such a level that he was closer to the heavens than Yeshayahu was. So him, he, Hazinu, would be the correct expression, while the Oretz would require Shimu, while it was the other side with Yeshayahu that he needed the heavens to um, pay attention. Shimu Shamayim, a stronger um, adjective, as opposed to Hazinu Oretz, Ki Hashem Dibayim, and what we said there as well, why invoke Shamayim Aras anyway in the prophecy? It's because they were witnesses to the original covenant of B'nai Yisrael, and they're called on now to witness that very same covenant. Continues the Navi, Banim Gidalti Romanti, I have raised children, the Romanti elevated them. Again, one of the characteristics we're going to see in Yeshayahu's Nevius is this use of the double um, adjective, Gidalti Viromanti. Says the Radak, they're synonyms. It's a poetic license, it's a homiletic device. Says the Malbin, no, means two separate things every time he uses it. Gidalti refers, he said, to the individual Jew that he's speaking to. The Romanti is to Israel as a nation. So there is a difference, and we will develop this as we go on. Now, Pasuk Gimel, Yeshayahu makes a metaphorical comparison to B'nai Yisrael that is not very flattering at all. It's to animals. Continues Yeshayahu, Yada Shor Konehu, very famous line of prophecy. The ox knows who owns it, who its master is. The chamar, the donkey, a bus knows the feeding trough, who is feeding him. Now, there's no way to sugarcoat this. What he's saying is the shar and the chamar, which are probably two of the for want of a better term, stupidest, dumbest animals, they know who's feeding them, they know the trough which to go, and the metaphor is very simple. If dumb animals have an instinctual loyalty to the source of their food, shouldn't B'nai Yisrael. And uh, I must point out a, a beautiful uh, anecdote in Rev Schwab, Rev Schwab has a wonderful safer on just Yeshayahu, and he tells the story that one of his first positions was in a rural city in Germany. He had grown up and come from the very urban Frankfurt, and one of the things he witnessed was that each evening at sunset, 
in this small little town, all the cows that had been grazing all day in the field came down the main street in a herd, and at each block or every other block would peel off two or three to go to their barns, announce their appearance with the sound of a, a, a cow, a moo, into the barn at the trough they fed. That it is a very real metaphor, and he uses it to dramatize. So Yodashar Konehu, Chamorevus Balav, Yisrael Lo Yoda, my people of Israel do not know. Ami Lo Hispanan. The metaphor of a trough, a feeding trough, Chamorevus Balav, the Abarbanel tells us, refers to the base Hamikdash. That sustains them, the food. But in any case, my children of Israel don't know who sustains them, who feeds them, who's responsible for their food, who they instinctually return to for food. They have no awareness of it. Hai goichote, Pasuk Dalet. Hai has a double lashon, it can mean of two meanings it's capable. Hai is listen, it's a cry to just pay attention to this. Or hai is like the sound of just woe. It's just hopeless. Hai go chote, you sinful nation. I'm Kevin Avon, filled with sin. Zeramarehim, your fathers were bad. You are the bad children of bad fathers. Banim mashkitim. Your children are guilty of mashkitim. Mashkitim is a very different kind of sin, as the Radak points out. Mashkitim, uh, Radak points out that it is done for no purpose. There's no reason to do the sin. It doesn't yield a profit. It doesn't provide any satisfaction. There's absolutely no basis for it other than doing it. Um, as Rod says, you do it just for the sense of doing it, and it's one of the worst kinds of sin because it has absolutely no purpose to it. So he's saying, Zeramarim, Bonim Mashkitim, and again, notice the use of the word Bonim. Your fathers were bad, you are bad, your sons are bad, but Bonim. You are still sons to the Kaddish Baruch. And that is a message, as it were, that no matter how badly we sin, as Rabbi Meir says in the Gemara, Yisrael afilu shechata Yisrael hu. That even if he sins, he's still a Jew. He's still beloved of the Kaddish Baruch Hu. Azvu es Hashem, you have left the Kaddish Baruch Hu. Na'atzu es Kedosh Yisrael, you have abandoned the Kaddish Baruch Hu. You have nazru achar, you have thrown him to the back as it was. And amet huku what more can be done to you? What more warnings can be given to you? What more punishments can be given to you? To inflict you. Your whole head is sick with afflictions. And your whole heart is melted with sickness and punishment. Mikaf regel rosh from the soles of your feet to the tops of your head. Ainbom is home. There's no more room, as it were, to afflict you. Petsa, that's a, a wound that, that sheds blood. Chabura is a wound that's sort of an internal wound. 
Makotria is an open wound, usually exuding uh, pus or fluid. All of these. Lozaru, there's no more room to apply other wounds. Lozaru, you haven't addressed them. You haven't medicated them. Lohubashu, you haven't bound them. You don't even apply basic ointment or salve. You're just too unaware of the sins. There's no more room to, in fact, punish you. It's as if every part of your body is covered with wounds. Moreover, Arzachem Shmama, your land is desolate. Orechem Shreifos, and again, be, keep this in mind, we are talking about Yisrael when Sancheirev completely plunders and depopulates the ten tribes uh, of the northern kingdom. So your land is barren, your cities are burnt to cinders, to age. Admasrem lenegdechem zorimochlim. Your fields, your lands are being consumed by foreigners. Remember, Sancheirev brought different nations like the Kusim and stuff, and they occupy your land. It is barren, it is lying desolate because of the um, depredations of Zarin, of foreign nations. Were it not that the Kaddish Baruch left you a remnant. Hosir Lanusarid is a remnant, and of course we're referring here to Yerushalayim and Yehuda, uh, tribe of Binyamin as well. If it were not that remnant, that She'erit HaPleta, so if you would be Kimakistom Hoyinu, La'amora Daminu, we'd be like stone in Amora, totally destroyed. Not partially, I get, but totally destroyed. And then in the next sentence, Shimudvar Hashem Kitsine Stone. Listen to me, you officers of stone. Hazinu Torah Salokenu Am Amora. And listen to the Torah of God, you nation of Amora. He, the Navi, has gone from saying you're like stone in that you would be desolate, you would be completely empty, were not the grace of the Kaddish Baruch Hu leaving a remnant to now, you are stone. And the Gemara in Brachos notices this. It says, it teaches us, al satan. You don't challenge or open your mouth to the satan, calling attention that they would be like stone, analogizing it, because the next thing is we see a sentence later, they are called stone in Amora. And now, Lama, now the Kaddish Baruch Hu through Yeshayahu turns on what probably may be considered the greatest defect, the greatest sin B'nai Yisrael is committing, and that is the total hypocrisy in their religious observance. Says Yudalaf, Lama li rozechem yomar Hashem. What do I need your korbanos? that you bring. Savati olos elim. I have had it completely up to here with the olos, with the fattened calves, the chelev mereim, and of oxens, with dam parim, the blood of cows, ukvasim, va'atudim, lochafasi. I don't want it. The korbanos you are bringing to the base hamikdash are meaningless. They are done without any spirituality, without any feeling. They are done totally robotically. They mean nothing to me. He said, Panai, 
When you come to allegedly seek my face, uh, whether it is on the Regalim or the Moadim or Shabbos or Rosh Chodesh, who asked you to trample my chutzah? You are doing nothing uh, in terms of religion. You're not coming with any spiritual purpose. You are coming to see, to be seen. It is a networking opportunity. It has absolutely no collection connection, rather, to religious observance. Lo sifu hovimin Now, the other carbonos he mentioned are usually associated with rich people, the fattened calves, the cows, the oxen. Now, the mincha is a poor man's uh, carbon, usually consisting of, you know, flour and water, or oil and uh, water. Do not bring your useless, meaningless mincha. This applies to rich and poor alike. Kitores to your offering of incense is an abomination to me. Your Rosh Chodesh celebrations, your Shabbos, where you call assemblages, it is meaningless. It is without any, any nexus or connection to a spiritual feeling of elevation. It is done, well, it is done for whatever the purpose is, it is not religion. This is Rosh Chodesh, and notice the use of your Rosh Chodesh. Umoadechem, your Moadim, your Regolim, Sononafshi. They're not mine, they're yours. My, my soul hates them. They are a burden to me. Nilesin is so. I am weary of bearing. I stop it. It means nothing. And when you spread your palms, spreading the palms could be like the Birkas Kohanim, or it could be like upping your hands in prayer. I will hide my eyes from you. Note, by the way, the separation of Tila from uh, the Karbanos, uh, which we learn that Gizola Tila. Min Hakabanos. It says in Brachos that Tzvila is more important than Karbanos, and your Tzvila is worthless. It's meaningless. Uh, when you spread your palms, I'm not listening to them. Your hands are filled with blood. And so we argue the Mepharshim that. Are they literally filled with blood? In other words, we're talking about, are they killers? And the answer is, it's possible. We saw that Menashe, they said the city of Yerushalayim was filled from blood from one end to the other. Menashe had made a, a, a devaluation, a cheapness of life that other people might have participated. But even if it's not physical blood, it is the blood of your corruption, of your absolute indifference. It's the, you, you just... Do not have any feeling of Yerashamayim uh, or of religion or of tshuva, etc. So now we have completed 15 psukim here in Yeshayahu, and one just reading them would be quite correct in saying, Yeshayahu, isn't he the prophet of Nechama? Sefer Yeshayahu, Kulo Nechamahi? Where is the Nechama? This is just an incessant, lacerating harangue. Um, 
brimstone and fire. There's no way out. Destruction is imminent. It's um, apoplectic. Where is the Nechama? Emir Hashem, 8.45 a.m. tomorrow, we will see the Nechama. Ad Khan.